On this week's episode, we change our name to Lady Bird. Should theater be directed by coaches? Did you get emotional the first time you drove? And is it normal to not touch a penis? Find out now you're listening to 24 Flames Per Second. Everybody and welcome to another episode of 24 Flames Per Second. It's the podcast that roasts the films we love the most. As always, everybody, I'm your host, Robert Spiewak, and welcome back to the show or to the show for the first time. If that's if this is your first time, welcome to the Ladybird episode. Um, we're jumping in as part of our uh, month-ish. It's I think it's four or five weeks of kind of a teen uh angsty ish movies um it's a it's a eclectic mix that we've been doing for the last little bit um and uh yeah we're really excited to uh jump into ladybird from uh, just a couple years ago for um from uh, greta gerwig uh, and yeah uh welcome to the show everybody um in patreon news this week we are um going to have a drink along that goes up over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash 24 flames pod. Um, as we are catching up for summer, um, on the drink alongs, uh, for some reason, you know, it's been harder to get people together for these things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we're doing one, um, a socially distanced backyard outdoors, uh, drink along to Mulan, uh, this Friday, um, September 4th. Um, and it'll be up on our drink on our, not on our drink along up on our Patreon, uh this weekend for you to celebrate labor day with i suppose um and so yeah everybody go and check that out the new mulan the live action one that they released on disney plus um to get over the uh very high purchase rental rate whatever it is um we're splitting it as many ways as we can we have a lot of people there i think um but uh but yeah it should be fun um so tune in or go check that out um, and we'll, uh, we'll see you then for those of you that join us. Should be a fun time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think all that being, that's the only housekeeping I have really other than, um, welcome to the show again, once more for uh, third time's a good, third time's a charm. And, uh, yeah, so we're gonna talk about Ladybird this week. Um, but first, uh, the, uh, co-host with the mo-host, the Julie to my Danny, uh, across the city for me this week, Casey Rom. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going all right. Um, it's it's been a, a week, but uh, yeah. I'm bouncing back now, and I'm excited to do something that feels a little normal. <laughs> it's, it's been a week, and today's only Monday. <laughs> I know. I don't know how. I... <laughs> yeah, I feel like that um, Thirty Rock meme where he <laughs> says, "What a week, huh?" Working <laughs> on my night cheese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he says it's Wednesday, <laughs> but yeah, it's actually yeah. only Monday. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, well, anyways, yeah. Anyways, good to have you here. Um, yeah. Did you watch the movie this week? I actually did. I thought I wasn't going to have time, but I just kind of put it on while I was cooking dinner and eating. So I finished it like 10 minutes before we started recording. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Well, so fresh in your mind. What do you know about it? Um, I actually found a lot of kind of fun facts about this movie. Um, one I thought was really interesting is that 
Saoirse Ronan was actually in a stage uh, musical shortly before filming and the stage makeup made her break out really bad. And they decided to just not really cover it up all the time and make her look like a real teenager that sometimes has acne and sometimes wears makeup to cover it up. So I thought that worked out well, considering she she was 23 at the time of filming, which is not too abnormal for most high school movies, but um, it lent a little you know, uh, realness to it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one of the other facts that I found really interesting is that uh, this was the highest grossing A24 film when it premiered, um, which includes like Moonlight, which won Best Picture. It it grossed better than that, um, but it was unseated by Hereditary about a year later. So... Um, and then a personal fun fact, this is the first movie I ever watched with my movie pass, R.I.P. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a that's a name I haven't heard in a very long time. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, no, that's all that's all great stuff. Good for Ladybird for uh, hanging in there until Hereditary came out. <laughs> yeah. Pun intended, Hereditary yeah. fans. And I think it just shows the success of A24 over the course of, you know, the last 10 years also. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, very good. Uh, let's get around and we'll uh, introduce the, uh, the panels this week. Starting with the roasters. And, oh boy, are they roasting it today? It's hot. Um, uh, starting with uh, Seattle Cinephile. You can find her on Instagram at ZandraC33. Alexandra Calero. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Just trying to ride out the heat wave. You yes, know. aren't we all? Oh, God. Um <laughs> Well, yeah, well, very good. It's great to have you here. We'll see. Hopefully, um, I don't know, maybe Ian will douse the roasting flames. We'll see. We'll find out. Um, And cool everybody off. It's a long extended (laughs) metaphor. Um, Also roasting this week, filmmaker and political activist. You can find him on social media at True Cody Olson. It's him, the True Cody Olson. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Going good. I was able to get out in the sun today and uh, go. Boo. Boo? I'm just kidding. It's just so hot. Oh, it was lovely. I went hiking <laughs> around uh, okay. Washington, which is pretty nice. Um, you did yeah. water sports. That's why you liked it. Ah, ah, I loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, feeling pretty good. Um, yeah, ready to talk about this film. Excellent. Well, it's, uh, it's great to have you here. Um, and on the defense this week. Teacher and Godzilla expert. You can find him on Instagram at Possess Ian. Ian Coleman. Hey, hey. It's the first time I've introduced you with your new bizarre social media handle. Yep. Yep. Nope. I'm, uh, yeah, I need, need to update it. It's been a little bit. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I started an Instagram where I, I take uh, I take selfies of myself acting possessed. So I think it'll be an entertaining time if you want to see some demonic demonic antics from me go check it out <laughs> it's kind of uh this is we have to get to the show but it is very it's good quarantine content yeah it's good quarantine content that's, that's <laughs> the kind aim of, uh, it's kind of like possessed guy around the house yep um but uh but but yeah it's great to have you here um and you know how this goes first things first we gotta do movie in a minute bud um and so let's uh get that going give us the uh, the plot synopsis to ladybird the full plot synopsis spoilers and all we'll give you 60 seconds and a three count how do you feel do you feel ready i'm ready for it let's do it all right happy. go um all right well here we go in three two one 
go. All right. So the movie revolves around uh, Christine Lady Bird McPherson. Um, so it's her senior year of high school, and it just kind of follows her along through that journey. She uh, grew up. She's growing up in Sacramento. Uh, wants to get out of there to experience the culture on the East Coast and go to college there, but her grades aren't very good. Um, you know, throughout the course of her year, she uh, has a couple romances, which for their own reasons don't really work out. She um, kind of wants to be a cool adult and uh, ditches her best friend, Julie, who's kind of struggling with her own sort of uh, self-confidence issues. And she's fighting with her mom, who is a very stern and kind of wants the best for her and pushes her really hard. And it all sort of ends when she um, gets accepted into, or she gets on the wait list for one of her dream schools on the East Coast, um, lies to her mom about it, they have a fight about it, and um, but she ends up going anyway, and sort of has this experience where she uh, ends up in the emergency room. And you're out of time. Oh, I'm, not gonna, scene. I'm not going to let you resolve that last kind of event of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> winds up in the emergency room, goes to a church service, calls her mom and leaves a nice message. Um, and that's kind of the end of the movie. <laughs> but you were close. You were pretty much... I got to the, got to the very, very final scene. Yeah. Which but, is uh, something to be proud of. It's, it's all right. Um, there's not really a plot to this movie. It, it, well, it's just it's life. It's slice yeah. of life, baby. Um, and so, uh, yeah, well, uh, well, very good. We are going to take a quick break. And then, Ian, when we come back, we're going to get your opening statements while you're here defending Lady Bird. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, everybody, we will be right back. And we are back, everybody. Welcome back to uh, our Lady Bird episode, um, also known as our Christine episode, right before the break. Um, Ian got to the final scene of the movie, a movie in a minute, but didn't finish it. It's too bad. Um, kind of like the way the, the mom did the little lap around the airport. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, so Ian, let's get your opening statements. Why are you here defending Lady Bird? So yeah, I think what I take from this movie in terms of its storytelling is just the sort of principle that like the more specific you can make a story about a person, the more uh, universal it becomes. Like it, like I said, there's really not like a plot to this movie. It's really just kind of following the life of you know one specific person and their you know very specific problems and the you know relationships in their life. But it's just a really powerfully told like account of just a year in a person's life. And I think that all the characters really just like shine off the screen. Um, everything about this movie is great. The performances are great. I think it really balances this, you know, very like hilarious and heartbreaking tone. Well, like it's just a very, very powerful experience of a person's life and everybody's great and everything about it is great. Okay. <laughs> what, a, what an opening statement, you know, everything's great. Everybody's great. End of end of the sentence. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyways, as we uh, turn this over to the roasters, um, I mean, why not start with the title character herself, uh, Lady Bird? Who would like to go first? Sure, I can jump in on that. Yeah. And first, I'll, I'll just sort of echo that I do think an element of what Ian said is very true. In that, the specificity, particularly of these coming of age stories, is really what, in a way, makes it feel universal. And I do think the film succeeded at that. For me, though, I don't care about watching Lady Bird. Like, I think the film did a good job of articulating her specific slice of life. 
I just wasn't compelled to watch it because I don't, I don't really feel like Lady Bird is somebody that I felt like was a someone who I wanted to go on a journey with. I didn't, she's, she doesn't seem particularly kind to people around her. Um, she doesn't seem particularly like motivated. I guess I, for me, was really struggling to find like the beating heart behind this person. You know, not that they have to be like this A student or be perfect in every way, but I guess I just, I didn't see somebody who was filled with like, with like earnestness or yearning or something. I just thought this person who's like kind of sarcastic and in my opinion, like a little mean at times to people in their life. I, I didn't really vibe with that very much. All right. Uh, Alexandra, anything to add there? Um, just, I, yeah, I would agree with Cody uh, and add that in some ways she felt like the least interesting character in the movie. Um, in terms of the way the characters created and developed, she's very one note. And that one note is bitchy teen. Okay. Absolutely. And I'll just maybe like add something really quick in that I was thinking in my head a bit ago about that sort of specificity angle and another coming of age movie that I really enjoy, which is uh, Love, Simon. And that Love, Simon is the, you know, it's this coming of age story about uh, sort of a gay teen struggling sort of with their sexuality and how to come out. And that, that is not an experience that I have lived as, you know, as somebody who's straight. But I remember resonating with that movie really deeply, right? Even though it's experiences that are different from my own, it just, it felt like it had this beating heart behind it. And, and so Lady Bird is, is also, I'm not, I, I wasn't a female teenager, but I think is removed from me the same degrees that Love, Simon was, but I just felt nothing towards it, if that makes sense. So I, I feel like it, it, it was ripe for it had the possibility to be a movie that I could have been like really invested in. I, I tend to dig coming of age stories, but I, for whatever reason, I, it just felt like a swing and a miss for me. I think I keep coming back to the central character, Lady Bird, and that I just didn't really connect with her. Mm. Um, Ian, what do you think of Lady Bird? I mean, yeah, I can understand why you uh, wouldn't connect with her, not just because of the lack of commonality in your experiences, but she is a, yeah, she like, that is the point of the movie is she is a very flawed person. Um, I think she, she acts very, you know, she, she does act horribly sometimes to the people in her life. Also, she is a teenager kind of struggling to figure out her place in the world. And of course, like in that sort of search for identity and in that sort of like, you know, butting heads with the people in your life who are also kind of trying to define you while you're trying to define yourself, there's, there, there's going to be some friction and you're going to act shitty to people. But I think that I'll disagree with the uh, statement that she's one note. I mean, yeah. So there are a lot of scenes where like the relationships with the people around her kind of make her, well, they don't force her to be bitchy, but she, they interact with her in a way that inspires her to be. But I don't think that's the only layer we see to her character. And I think that this movie really allows us to get to know her in all her aspects. Like one scene that really stands out to me is the the scene where her uh, first kind of former boyfriend who she found out was gay the whole time kind of comes back to um, the cafe where she works. And it's kind of building to this moment where she's going to be like, hey, fuck you. You, you, you tricked me. You... You deceived me. I'm angry at you. And it really turns out to be this scene where he kind of unloads his, like, I'm sorry, but, like, I'm, I'm gay, and I just, like, I don't know how to break it to people, and I needed to 
um, like I, I needed to kind of use you as a cover. And then there's this this really tender moment where she just like accepts that and comforts him. And we see her like really kind of take on his pain in a nice way there. And we see her be um, very kind to her best friend, Julie, who she does kind of betray a little bit, but ends up coming back to. And we see those different layers of like how she can be kind to her mom and the people around her. And I think I think that there's there's more than just one note to her character. They, I think this movie though is all about kind of Seeing her in all her different aspects. Some of them are kind of pleasant and some of them aren't. Alexandra. Well, yeah, I I will say that I do think that the scene where the boyfriend or ex-boyfriend kind of comes out to her in that conversation is, you know, not, you know, entirely her going, well, what do I get out of this? But in terms of her friend, I don't think that she's kind to her friend. I think that she is somebody who got into a situation where she was like, I need this person who dotes on me. And that's what I get out of my relationship with Julie. I probably care for her, but at the same time, she was in a position where she, you know, she receives, I think more from that relationship than she gives to that relationship and going back to her after, um, you know, her whole thing with Timothy Chalamet is more about, uh, getting back that kind of undivided love and devotion that she's not getting from the other her other peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cody, yeah, hundred percent, Alexandra. I agree with everything you just said. I I don't think she's kind to her friend. I think you could find instances where she is kind to her mom, and there's layers there, right? But man, like she just, she stopped hanging out with her friend halfway through. And this to me was almost a nail in the coffin of my resonance with the character. She stopped hanging out with her halfway through. And then she doesn't come back to her in my mind because she thinks, hey, maybe I did something wrong ditching my friend like that. I think my friend might be sad. It's only, it's a pretty selfish act. It's that lady bird herself is like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm excited to go to prom and her kind of anti-establishment friends are like no let's blow off from and then she just does a total 180 and goes hey can you drop me off at my friend's house and to me it felt like the definition of self-serving and I, her friend accepted her and i wasn't that happy about it. you know i i guess it's like dude it's it's an hour before prom starts or whatever i don't think they had spoken for like what seemed like weeks if not months it just it seemed to me like a, a weird toxic friendship that I was not rooting for by the end of it. Hmm. Um, Ian? I'll, I'll disagree pretty hard with both of your interpretations of that scene. I think that that, that scene is really sweet in a lot of ways, not just because of the way in which they like have fun and embrace and the way that like the, you know, the cinematography and the music is kind of trying to communicate that. But I, I, I see it as like she... You know, part of the her you know journey throughout the movie is to like you know give up the idea of like posturing to be like a cool adult and learn to like kind of accept yourself as you are and what you love and not let not let anyone judge you for it. And I think that that scene is her really kind of that that aspect of her her character journey really just sort of crystallizing. I think what that that represents is like she you know sort of ditches this bad friend who she's taken up not because I I I, mean, I think the the other sort of fake friend that she makes her name is Jenna. I think she gives up on Jenna because Jenna, you know, that really was the self-serving relationship. Like that was the relationship that she was in to make herself feel cooler. That was the relationship she was in to make herself feel more actualized. And I think what she's realizing in that moment is like, no, like this is, this is just posturing. 
and my real genuine feelings of like the the person that I really want to spend my time with and enjoy being around is Julie. And I think that, you know, that's really what that scene is about is her, you know, coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, Julie's not a very cool person, but like, I love her anyway. And we're going to go to prom together and we're going to eat cheese and crackers and it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, Cody. I see what you're saying, but does she owe Julie an apology? Because I don't think she gives her one. I mean, I think, I mean, no, we don't, we don't, we don't verbally hear, hey, I'm sorry, I was crappy to you, but we really do get to see the experience of her breaking her out of like a really, really crappy situation. She was in. She was, you know, all by herself in her apartment down prom night, not having a date, you know, was just kind of resigning herself to the sort of, you know, despair of that moment. And then in comes her friend to save her and show her a good time. So I think that even though we don't verbally hear the apology, I think, you know, the act that she chooses to do in taking her to prom is a selfless act, and that's my interpretation of it. But isn't, isn't her friend in that position partially because of her? Like, for me, those tears that were being shed were, you know, I'm, you know, sure, I may be unsuccessful with boys, but plenty of teenagers are, un, are unsuccessful with the opposite sex at that age. It's my friend isn't here to bring me comfort, and then hasn't been here for what felt like a good chunk of time and then Lady Bird just swoops in kind of going, oh, I'm, you know, I'm ready now. How are things going? Tell me about it. And to me, it felt like either too little, too late or at minimum, hey, maybe we do reconcile, but you clearly have a timetable, Lady Bird, that you want it to be on the night of prom because you want to go to prom. And maybe this reconciliation is on, should have been on her friend's timeline. Right, of like, hey, you don't get to just swoop in. I'm gonna find a way to enjoy myself at prom. And maybe you and I mend our friendship, but it doesn't get to be during your hour. I guess that's what I thought. Um, Alexandra. Yeah, actually, I was gonna kind of say what Cody was saying is that it, it feels self-serving because she says, uh, hey, I do actually wanna go to prom and doesn't say drop me off at prom. She says, drop me off at my friend's house so I don't have to go to prom alone. It's not necessarily about reconciling with the friend to me. It's more about how can I not feel uncomfortable in this social setting because I no longer have this date I expected to take. Oh, wait, I can go to this friend who will always expect me to come crawling back because she will always be sitting around waiting for me and I'm still going to treat her shitty because I'm going to use her for this activity instead of saying, hey, I ditched, you know, I, I realized I was a shitty friend. I did some horrible things or I ignored you. Let's hang out and eat cheese and, and watch movies or let's just hang out in the apartment or let's go do something. But it's more like, hey, go put that dress on. Let's go to prom because I want to go to prom. Absolutely. 100%. Um, Casey. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting about this movie is that it is set in the year 2002. Um, and the director had stated that she chose to set it in that time because she didn't feel like she understood current teenagers enough to set it in the modern time. And so I'm wondering for both sides of the panel, if people thought that that time setting worked, um, or if they gained anything in the movie out of it. Yeah. Who's got, who's got thoughts first, Ian? Um, I mean, I think that kind of the uh, historical significance of that moment is, of course, like the uh, beginning of the invasion of Iraq, uh, Iraq, whatever. 
Yes, there it's it's a country. Um, so yeah, there it begins with the invasion of Iraq, and there's kind of like this understanding amongst all the characters of like, oh, this thing that we you know didn't think could happen is happening now. There's this sense of like something starting, something, some kind of like momentous change happening, and of course that's what's also happening in Ladybird's life. So I I can sort of see, you know, like it's a story partially about like, you know, the end of one age and the beginning of another. So I think that that, that particular aspect of it was well-timed uh, thematically. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's one of those movies that like really indulges in the, you know, like kind of, um, you know, nostalgia for the time period, but that's what I really love about it. Like there's no like, Hey everybody, she's still going to Blockbuster Video. Oh, hey everybody, she's getting like Netflix in the mail. You know, everybody laugh at that because it's cute. And uh, remember to sell that. I think it's just really great that like it is the time they are living in it in a very natural way. And I just really appreciated that aspect of it. So yeah, I thought that the time period stuff was well done. Look at these nerds with their physical media. These yeah. old nerds. Um, Alexandra, go ahead. <laughs> so I... um when I look at the time period thing and then think about kind of that, you know, yes, it's the beginning of the invasion of Iraq and how that's going to play out for fucking ever. Um, I don't see that reflected in the storytelling only that, you know, everybody is so self-involved. So there is no acknowledgement of the time frame to me, other than you've got Timothy Chalamet's character, who's like this, you know, pretentious teen who thinks he's so much better than everybody else. And he's like, Oh, but you know, there's things going on in the world in Iraq and, um, and everybody else is just so self-absorbed. So I don't think that that is reflected the same way that, you know, you Ian think it is. Um, but also if the story is supposed to be this universal story of coming of age and can, you know how there's a universality to everybody's coming of age story she could have said it in a in a modern period of time um i, I think it's a cop-out to say oh i don't understand modern teens i'm going to set it for when i was a teenager or roughly a teenager and then to try and say but my story is universal it's either universal which means it takes place whenever or it's not and you said it in 2002 hmm I don't know. Cody, Cody, did you have any thoughts on the time period? Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe disagree with my fellow roasters slightly just in that I, I sort of felt, you know, for me, the specificity of the, like, hey, we're going to set it in 2002. This is the experience I, the filmmaker, know the best and can articulate. I dug that. I was like, yeah, sure. The specificity of it makes sense. I get it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it. I don't think it added a ton to the movie. I don't think it took away from it, though. Um I, I will though. Alexandra was saying, mentioned until Timothy Chalamet's character, and I I totally agree that he is one of the for me one of the high points of the film was just his absolute unrepentant douchiness and like <laughs> how, how like subtly but how well they played it. You know, like he doesn't come out out of the gate immediately seeming like a douche, but just little comments like I'm not into money, I barter and. and just like, <laughs> And just all, and like, she's, you know, he kind of like tricks her a little. It's early, their sex is under different, different notions, right? Because he definitely said I was a virgin too, and like comes immediately, like, no, I've said like a lot of women. Like, Lady Bird is reeling. It's just like, okay, just nothing good just happened. Like, I'm a little like, Ugh. and then he's like, people are dying in Iraq. How can you, like, <laughs> it was just so pitch perfect that I, I got to give the movie credit for like, <laughs> 
his just despicable character. <laughs> um, Ian. I mean, I guess I'll disagree with the, I, I think the point that I'll sort of pick on is the like lack of universality of this movie. And it's like, no, it's not universal. It's, it's one person's very specific experience. And even if we can see, you know, like, like we can even see within the multiple high school characters in the film, like there isn't just one teenage experience of being a teenager. There is a whole gamut of teenage experiences. We get to see, you know, many sort of characters, different sides of experiencing that life. We have, of course, like Lady Birds, which is about, you know, wanting to be cool and wanting to be, you know, strong and actualized. We also have Julie, who's struggling with her self-confidence in her own ways. We see um, Danny, who is a closeted gay person who's afraid to come out. We see uh, Timothy Chalmay. I forgot his character's name. Um, but we see him kind of like embodying that, you know, like pretentious, I'm above everybody kind of thing. Like we, 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 we get a spectrum of what it's like to be a teenager. And I do think that also if you're going like as a high school teacher, I can definitely say that like, yeah, like if you were to set this movie in modern times, the nature of how a lot of things work would have to change. Like obviously social media would have to be a factor, which would impact a lot of like the character relationships and, you know, would impact a lot of how the characters interact. And if you want to see that movie, um, you can watch Booksmart or you can watch Eighth Grade, which uh, deal with kind of a more uh, Gen Z perspective on uh, being a teenager and a young person, which I would say that experience is pretty different from this one. Yeah. Um, and I know we were going to talk about kind of the full cast of characters, uh, Roasters. I don't know if there's uh, more there. I think, Alexander, this was your note about kind of everybody rather than yeah. just specifically ladybird yeah so my my frustration with the cast of characters is that everybody it, it feels like as greta gerwig was writing the script she just went through a checklist of who the who is ladybird going to encounter in her life okay we've got the closeted the gay boyfriend we've got the douchey pretentious boyfriend we've got the overweight friend we've got the difficult mother we've got the quiet yet understanding father We've got the kind of sort of um, the brother who is, you know, smart, but not f reaching his full potential. It, it Nothing felt authentic about the characters in the sense that um, they felt like they had a very niche role to fill. Um, I, I liked a lot of the characters. I liked a lot of the performances, but at the same time, it was disappointing to just to turn, you know, to watch the movie and go, Oh, Oh, we're just getting the same cast of characters that you get in pretty much every coming of age movie. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of true. I think in a lot of ways, there's not really a weak link in terms of the cast anywhere. You know, I think everyone, you know, the film, most people get a sense a time to shine in terms of their performance. And so they're all really strong. But I think you're right that the script in a lot of ways doesn't do them any favors. It kind of pigeonholes them into some, um, maybe not thankless parts, but parts that are kind of just shrug and like, okay, he's that character. Moving on. Yeah. Ian, go ahead. Um, I will really disagree with that. I think that, you know, kind of the key distinction between like a one note character and like a more well-developed one is like, do you have a sense of like what they're thinking and do you have a sense of like their interior life? And I really think that I, I could picture that for all the characters. Like there, there's more than just like, Oh, like I'm the bitchy mom because I fulfill that role on the screenplay. 
and I need you to fulfill your potential because this is just like what the screenplay needs me to do. I, I really think that like, it makes complete sense what we learn about that family. Like not just that she is that person, but like why she is that way. Like she has a husband who struggled with depression. She, um, in one level, like kind of also enjoys like taking people's problems into her hands. Like she works, you know, at the psych hospital. She, um, presumably adopted Miguel. Um, she's also had to be kind of the rock of the family, you know, in a way where like not everybody else was like the most dependable. So she had to kind of take up that mantle and it's like, yeah, like you, you get a sense from every character, why they are the way they are and like a little hint of what they've gone through. And I think that's actually probably my favorite thing about this movie is like all the characters are interesting enough that they could be the main characters of their own movie. And you kind of get the sense that each one of these characters has had their own story worthy of a movie or they're having their own movie kind of happening in the background. We've got like Julie going through stuff. We've got Miguel going through stuff. And I really just felt that this cast of characters was very like rich and three dimensional. And I loved all of them. Mm. I will at least say that I think the dad is maybe the, the least of the sort of pigeonholed characters. I think he, he has some just like quietly nuanced moments I thought were, were pretty cool. So I'll, I'll sort of like credit that. Um, there was, I think the moment where the son and the dad were going for the same interview and the dad kind of has this really deft response to something that he's just sort of learning, I think in that. And I was like, Oh, that was a nice moment. And in kind of a surprise to the audience. And so I'll, I'll credit that at least. I would definitely agree that, um, the, that there are aspects of the characters that you could see in their own movie, but that's part of the frustration of this is like most of it's going back to the, the issue of Lady Bird as the main character. I would rather watch those other movies. And so it's still disappointing to see them fulfill those, those very kind of pigeonholed roles of, you know, fat best friend, gay first boyfriend, whatever. Um, and know that there is potential there to to have characters that have more significance or more meaning uh and that are not just kind of passing through ladybird's life i mean they you know it'd be i'd I'd be interested in watching those movies and it's that's what i find frustrating about the script is that i don't think that there's enough put into some of the characters for me to kind of go i see the role they play in ladybird's um character arc it's more like okay she's i don't care if she's on screen i want to know what's going on with this other character hmm. yeah so it sounds like what you're saying is the other characters are so much more interesting that you want to see their movies more yes even though they are very very stereotypical characters in a coming of age movie i'll take their movies over hers i don't think it can get i don't think i can be more disaffected by a character so yeah sure I mean, I guess like what what I kind of take from like why we have these other sort of more interesting stories play out in relation to hers is, is that, and I think that this is sort of like what redeems her character for me is like this whole movie is kind of about like her moral awakening and her like learning to accept other people's pain. I think it's it's very pointed that like she you know learns that her dad has depression and like you know he'd been dealing with this his entire life and she'd never been aware of it. I think it's very pointed that. You know, we learned that the drama teacher had depression and she kind of is unaware of that fact. I think it's very pointed that she is like, like several times throughout the movie, we get these sort of encounters where she learns like the depths of pain that other people are kind of going through. And I think that she 
you know, kind of learns to sort of like accept this role of like, hey, like I'm not just going to be so focused on my own life. I'm going to make other people's lives better. Or at the very least, I'm going to like consider their, you know, pain and their sacrifice a little bit more. And I think that, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, I think that it's, it's, it's very like intentionally constructed in the way that like everybody's had these sort of backgrounds that she's not aware of and sort of like becomes more aware of as the, as the movie goes by. I think it's really smart that way. Hmm. Uh, on that note, sorry, Cody, um, it's time to unmask. And we had, we had a bunch more stuff that we could have talked about. So everyone, you'll have to tune into the extended play after this one. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's time to unmask everybody. Let's talk about how we, uh, how we really feel. Um, we'll start with you, Ian. Um, I wasn't lying at all. I or I wasn't not lying. Or I wasn't masking at all. Like I really loved this movie, and I think that it's just very, very well done in a lot of ways. I think it's just a very like understated but powerful slice of life movie that you know really kind of like gently shows you a person's life while also you know like exploring some very very heavy subjects. I think that that was kind of my my takeaway from watching the movie a second time yesterday is like, damn, that, that movie left me feeling a lot heavier than I remember it being. And I think that there's a lot that it grapples with in just this very deft and easygoing way. And I think that the directing is great. I think uh, the characters are great. I think that everything about this movie just kind of works. Yeah. Um, Alexandra. Um, I think that I would say at best, I am indifferent to this movie. Um, I saw it in theaters. I went with my mother um, and I walked out of it and was like, I don't get the hype around this. And maybe that's part of it is by the time I saw it, you know, I'd read every review and heard everybody that was so excited about it. And I'm like, it's fine. It's whatever. I don't care. Um, I think I do think the performances are fantastic. I mean, just, you know, the the um the issues that i have with the characters i have with the characters but i love the performances that everybody gives i mean especially laurie metcalf i thought was phenomenal but i just couldn't get behind the movie and i don't get the fascination with greta gerwig as a filmmaker those are some some strong words for the end of an episode um cody Yeah, Alexandra, I actually feel the exact same. I, I I think I'm indifferent to this film. I don't, it's not like a aggressively poorly made film, you know what I mean? But I was just watching it and it felt like the Emperor had no clothes. I, I knew that this film had like some good hype, but I honestly hadn't read too many or any in-depth reviews. So I really like my hype meter wasn't, it wasn't skyrocketing. It was just like, oh, I heard people enjoyed this one. You know, maybe it's, it has some unique angles to it. And so I was eager to watch it. And man, I just really came away from it cold and uninspired and unclear, unclear about the fervor around the film. And like you said, Alexandra, also unclear about the fervor around Greta Gerwig as a director, which I almost hesitate to say because I, you know, I feel like sometimes like white male film critics can, can have an extra bone to pick with like a, you know, like a successful female director. So I, I really don't want to sort of be in that position almost. And I, it took a little bit of self-reflection to be like, is, is this my take? Like, you know what I mean? Is this <laughs> all right? But I do, I, I really found myself watching the film kind of shrugging and being like, you know, whatever. Like, take it or leave it. Kind of prefer to leave it, but okay. All right. Um, Casey. 
Yeah, um, I actually, I think my memory of this movie was worse than the movie. Like, the further I got away from when I first saw it in theaters, the more I remembered parts of the character that I really didn't care for, which I think the roasters demonstrated pretty well why she kind of sucks. But then on the rewatch, I was like, oh, it's because when I was in high school, I totally sucked and I totally, like... (laughs) identify with this character like I absolutely would have fallen for the douchey Timothy Chalamet character I absolutely thought that I had to be the center of attention like that is some people's high school experience and it's pretty similar to mine um and thankfully I got better in college and I think we're left to believe that she will too (laughs) yeah um and I think I think the last time I watched this was also in the theater um and I, th- I think this movie does actually an exceptional job of like telling the story of just like the journey through senior year of how you grow and change some like it's a pretty a year where a lot of things change as you're, you know, exiting high school. And I think that it tells that story really, really well, um, especially for, you know, um, someone like Lady Bird, who, you know, feels penned in and stuck in this Catholic girls high school and wants to get away and, you know, has an overbearing mom and all those things. She wants to escape and figure out what she actually wants to do. And um, I don't know. And I think that we see her, you know, start and stop on what kind of person do I want to be? And, um, and I think that the way it dovetails at the end with her kind of, you know, coming to a place of, understanding with her mother that is kind of the framework that i think works really well and a lot of all the characters in this movie without too much trouble are have their own little individual quirks and are communicated really well it's like those are i think that the way the film is put together the bones of it are really well are really good and that's what i think the movie gets right and um and yeah, uh, we can talk more about Greta Gerwig in the post show too, because there's other movies that we could talk about. So um, I got some, I got some other thoughts too that we can get into. Um, but uh, but yeah, everybody, that'll do it for for our Ladybird episode. Um, and so yeah, as I mentioned, we're gonna go on and keep talking for um, our extended play, which is our post show, just for our Patreon subscribers. So if you want to uh, get in on that and all the other goodies that we got over there, including the Mulan drink along coming this weekend head over to patreon.com slash 24 flames pod. And uh, if you got thoughts about Ladybird or Greta Gerwig or I don't know, even hereditary, um, you can email us at 24 flames pod at gmail.com. And uh, you can find us on social media at 24 flames pod. So go and follow us there. If you want to know what's coming next week, every week. Um, and then wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you recommend podcasts to friends, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Good Pods or whatever, go and uh, leave a rating and a review and um, subscribe so you can keep up to date with us. Um, we're in season four. There's tons. There's like 150 other episodes you could go listen to. Um, and so, yeah, it helps us make the show better, helps more people find it. Um, and we appreciate it. So, um, yeah, everybody, we hope to uh, hope to hear from you. Um, that being said, this episode of 24 Flames Per Second is produced and hosted by me, Robert Spiewak, co-hosted by Casey Rahm. The panels this week, the defense was Ian Coleman and the Roasters, or Alexandra Calero and Cody Olson. Our uh, show music is produced, composed, and performed by Rob Joins and Will Paulson. And our network and co-op, Partyfish Media, is produced by Quasi Phillips, Will Paulson, and me. 
everybody. And so, yeah, next week on the show, we are staying in high school just a little bit longer, one more week uh, with Bring It On, because um, I don't know, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I miss the cheerleaders in this one. Um, that sounds a little more sexist than I think I wanted it to. Um, anyways, it's a movie about cheerleaders coming next week. Um, and it's, it's a fun episode. We've already done that one. We already recorded it. So, um, stick around for that and we'll, uh, we'll be back then. So yeah, everybody, um, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. Um, bye. 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 Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.